This is Larry Fessenden. And this is Glenn McQuaid. And you're listening to Tales from Beyond the Pale, the podcast. Greetings, audiophiles. Here we are again, ready to take in another tale from beyond the pale. Sorry things are a bit out of sorts here. Just have to patch up that hole in the wall there and maybe put a bit of cardboard over that window. Just haven't gotten to it yet. Don't mind a bit of fresh air, really. It's a bit close up here. But now, uh, on to our tale. This one from our pal, Joe Maggio, who has contributed a macabre yarn to each of our seasons and always featuring the great Vincent Tanafrio, joined here by glass-eye regular James Legros. Let's have a listen, then, to Joe Maggio's Cannibals. Thrice the brinded calf hath mewed, thrice and once hedge pig whine. Harpier cries, "'Tis time, tis time, let the cauldron go." Onion, celery, and carrot. The Roman triumvirate. Salt and pepper to taste. Pancetta. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Now we wait. Come in. Push harder. In the flesh. Babe Bosco. Yes, yes, I was expecting you. Please come in, Mr. Bosco. Come come in. Please sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Thank you. So we meet at long last. Yeah, at long last, yes. Something the matter? Um, no, no. <clears throat> yeah, this is just so... So... Surreal. I mean... To be sitting here in front of you. How so? It's just... you don't look real. Hmm. I'm not sure how to interpret that. I'm sorry, it's just... you know what it's like. It's it's like... the first time Ruggiero, the lowly seminarian, meets the mighty Cardinal Fiero in This Is My Blood. 
You've seen This Is My Blood. Twenty-six times. This Is My Blood, shot in the summer of 1977, starring John Steadman and Peter Locke. Cinematography by Eric Saarinen. How on earth? It was my first film as a director. It was never even completed. There's no record of its existence anywhere. Not true. Not true. I spent weeks scouring the USC archives. You'd be very surprised what they've got buried there. Are you sure you're all right, Mr. Bosco? I'm fine. I'm, it's just... Phew. Calm down, Bosco. Take a deep breath. It's just... I've seen you a million times in magazines and newspapers. I've heard your voice in interviews. I've watched every film you ever made and spent countless hours breaking them down, savoring them, digesting them. I know your life story in the minutest detail, but I've never laid eyes on you, the real thing, so to speak. And so to be suddenly standing before you like this just feels unreal. I have an idea. Come closer. Excuse me? Come closer around the desk. Don't be shy. I won't bite. Feel me. I beg your pardon? Feel me. I don't understand. <laughs> Reach out with your hand and touch my body. Touch your body? Yes. Not my shoulder. Nothing to learn there. Nothing to gain from a little flick to the upper body. All that bone and tendon. No, no. Right here. My belly. Are you serious? Completely and utterly. Here, I'll even lift my sweater so you can truly latch on. <laughs> That's it. Give it a real grab. <laughs> really grab a hold of it. Give it a proper shake. That's it. Well done. <laughs> now my turn. Your turn for what? Now I feel your body. For real? I think it's only fair, don't you? Okay, why not? Jesus! That's, very, that's it, Bosco, very nice. I like to get in there with both hands. I can see that! <laughs> very nice! Very nice indeed. Whew. There now. You feel better? Strangely enough, I do. Excellent. What are you, Bosco? Five feet eight inches tall, 140 pounds? Five feet eight, 138. Good guess. I have a knack. I'm 6'5", 270. You're definitely bigger than I'd imagined. And you're much smaller. No offense. None taken. My entire life I've intentionally played down my size, publicly, that is. Why is that? Human nature, I suppose. People see a big man and they immediately set to work on him, hammering away like desperate miners gone mad for gold. Like Clifford Shores in House of the Damned 1984. Piece by piece, chunk by chunk, the tiny men with their tiny hammers. Enough, Francis! <laughs> that film was never even commercially released. The studios shelved it indefinitely after the first test screening. I didn't even know a copy existed. How on earth did you find it? I'm tight with the archivist at Universal. I could arrange for a screening next time you're in L.A. You have feasted upon my work, Mr. Bosco. That much is irrefutable. Something smells delicious. Is that soup on the stove? I'm not sure what it will be at the moment. I've just started building it up. What you smell is the pancetta. 
The what? Pancetta, Italian pork belly, cured and salted. A pig's truest flavor, its essence, if you will, is concentrated in his belly. Did you know that, genetically speaking, pigs are man's closest relative? Hmm. I would have guessed apes. Common misconception. No, Mr. Bosco, it's the humble pig, the suscrofa. Tell me, have you ever tasted the ham produced from an Iberian black-footed hog? Not that I know of. They subsist exclusively on a diet of wild acorns, and when you eat their exquisitely cured flesh, you can actually taste those sweet, rich acorns. Truly sublime. So you're a foodie. Not exactly. I'm just very careful about what I put into my body. I'll eat anything. Except organ meats, livers, kidneys. That stuff makes me gag. I believe that eating is a spiritual act. We are what we eat. Well, that's the cliché. But yes, in a very real and direct way, I believe we are profoundly impacted by the essence of what we consume and the manner in which we consume it. Tell me, what do you eat, Mr. Bosco? Pizza. A lot of pizza. Shame. Excuse me? Nothing. I'm just mumbling to myself. Is that a wood-burning stove? It is. Old school. Nice. I grew up on a farm in New Hampshire. We had a stove, just like it. For some things, the old ways are the best. And to be completely honest, there's no gas or electric in the buildings. The old pot belly there serves a dual purpose. Wow. That explains a lot. How so? Well, I mean, it's just... Well, to be honest, I was a little surprised by how isolated your office is. This warehouse isn't even listed on Google Maps. (laughs) For you, Mr. Bosco, so young, so in the prime of your life and career, such seclusion must seem a kind of hell. But I assure you, privacy is its own virtue. Live long enough, sustain enough blows, enough dings to the soul, and someday you, too, will want for nothing more than to simply be left alone and forgotten. But I digress. To the business at hand. Yes, the business at hand. (sighs) You're wondering... What you're doing here, am I right? Well, my agent sent me a draft of Cannibals and said that you wanted me to read it with an eye to possibly directing it. And this is of some interest to you? Of some interest would be putting it mildly. Mr. Falcone, I owe my entire career to you and your films. I take it you've read the script? I have. And? I think... It's a masterpiece. Really? Yes. Well, don't stop there. Convince me. It's classic Falcone. The story moves like a freight train. Complex characters, shocking twists, snappy dialogue. But? But? I'm sensing a but. There's no but. To be perfectly honest, I'm shocked you'd even think of me. It's... it's... a tremendous honor. Fantastic. So it's settled. Let's seal it with a kiss. Of bourbon, that is. Oh, thank you. But just water for me. I beg your pardon? I don't drink. Alcohol, that is. You don't drink? But that's not what I've heard, not at all. On the contrary, your reputation for the sauce seems at times to almost have eclipsed your accomplishments on the big screen. Prodigious, though, they may be. Well, 
between you and me, six months ago, I went in for a physical. My doctor said my liver was as hard as a paving stone. Said I would be dead inside a year if I kept going at the rate I was going. Scared the shit out of me. And you haven't touched a drop since? Not a drop. Surely a small sip of bourbon would be allowed, given the occasion. I'm afraid not. Very well. A cup of tea, then. I'm caffeine-free. It's herbal. I hate to be a bother. It's no bother. Let's put the kettle on. I'm curious. Have you ever collaborated like this with anyone before? Never. But to be precise, a collaboration is not really what I have in mind. How's that? Well, as I see it, my work is done. It's my wish to remain in the shadows and let you bring cannibals to life in your own inimitable Bosco fashion. But you want to be involved in rewrites, no? Rewrites? But the script is perfect as is. It's a masterpiece. You said so yourself. Well, yes. I mean... It's a great script, but... Ah, and here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the dreaded butt. Well, come on, you know as well as anyone there's always room to fiddle. A nip here, a cut there. Ah, And where exactly would you propose we nip and cut my cannibals? Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. Speak freely, Mr. Bosco. I assure you, after nearly 40 years in the film business, my skin is as thick and hard as an old saddle. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I'm with you for the whole first act. The setup is perfect. New York City, the mid-80s. Upwardly mobile, Ivy League-educated professionals. Young, sexy, enlightened, politically progressive. The best of modern civilization. Good neighbors all living under the roof of a single Upper West Side townhouse. From the beginning, you drop subtle hints that there might be something more to all this than meets the eye. A secret, a dark secret, uniting these individuals in some common sinister purpose. But we don't want to believe it. We're seduced, hook, line, and sinker, by the sexiness of the characters, their perfect lives. And then comes that first group meal. It's brilliant! You wallop us with the realization they're fucking cannibals! A cult of cannibals feeding on the flesh of the unwitting co-workers, lovers, even family members? Lured in just as we're lured in by the magnetic power of these perfect people and their perfect lives into a seemingly idyllic townhouse. I beg your pardon. Please, carry on. It's the classic Falconian setup. Pure horror melded with searing social commentary. High praise from... What was it that Variety anointed you last month? The uncontested dean of Smart House Cinema? (laughs) Please, I don't read what they write about me anymore. That was my policy once. Then They stopped writing about me. And I suddenly became very curious. Fuck, Variety. You're part of the canon now. That's very kind of you, Mr. Bosco. But sadly, my bank does not trade in influence or reputation. You know, there are ways of turning influence and reputation into cash. 
You've got zero social media presence. I could help you change that. It's a whole new world out there. I'm afraid I'm far too old to climb that mountain. No. I prefer the cold certainty of the old ways. I'm an old and forgotten director with one final story to tell. You are the golden child holding the key to the Crystal Palace, the son who will give birth to the father. All that remains is an agreement on price, the proverbial pound of flesh. And one hand shall wash the other, as they say. Your tea. Careful now, it's... Whoa! Quite hot. It certainly is. I'll just... Let it cool a bit. But please continue. You were about to tell me where my cannibals goes horribly astray. Horribly astray is a bit strong. It's just, well, the dilemma you introduce at the end of Act One, that the AIDS epidemic forces the cannibals to stop bringing in outsiders, and without the fresh blood that they start feasting on each other, in theory, it makes sense. But in practice, it just feels, well, not organic. Like you're forcing a square peg into a round hole. I see. I hope I haven't insulted you. <sighs> no. No, I'm thinking. Do drink your tea. Nothing so wretched as cold tea. Of course. It's just a little too hot for me. something the matter, Mr. Bosco? No, no, it just smells a bit strong. The house blend is more tonic than a tea. Perhaps you'd prefer some lemon zinger. No, no, strong is good for me. Square peg in a round hole, eh? Look, I just feel if we put our heads together, we could come up with a much more plausible reason for why the cult is forced to turn on itself. Do you agree? It's funny. How's that? That expression, if we put our heads together. Whenever anyone says it, all I can imagine are two severed heads. In this case, mine and yours, floating in a pot of water and root vegetables stewing over an open fire. Uh, okay. What if I told you that this very scenario, which you find so implausible, is based on true events? I would say that the based-on-true-events concept in association with a horror film would make for a great marketing campaign if the Blair Witch guys hadn't beaten you to the punch nearly 20 years ago. I see. Well, marketing was never my strong suit. Nevertheless, it all happened. You're telling me that a cult of cannibals actually existed on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in the late 70s and early 80s? It's a cult of sorts. Really more a unified group of like-minded individuals. And we didn't consume human flesh, at least not in a literal way. We? I was a founding member, 1978, up until we disbanded in 1989. Did you guys have a name? We preferred to remain anonymous. And your beliefs? Free love. Is it really so amusing? Uh, no. <clears throat> no. Not at all. 
It's just... <laughs> I don't even know why I laughed. No, no, no. I insist. Speak freely. Well, so... You guys just, what, had sex all the time with as many people as you could get? I mean, I don't mean to minimize the experience or anything, but that pretty much describes 99% of all New York City men and women under the age of 35. Uh, We were a bit more sophisticated than that, rest assured. I won't bore you with the finer points. There were philosophical underpinnings, which seemed very important, at least at the time. And the fact remains, at a certain point, given the very real possibility of contagion associated with the AIDS epidemic, we could no longer risk bringing new blood into the group. And without new blood, all is lost. So no cannibalism? Not in the strictest sense, no. But then again, I've always felt there was an inextricable link between sex and cannibalism. At the heart of both acts lies the overwhelming impulse to become one with or inhabit another human being. In one act, this urge resides in the loins, the other, the belly. That's a very provocative thought. I still don't buy it. I see. (laughs) Well... Provocative. Provocative. (laughs) Provocative. That's an awfully big word for you. No, Mr. Bosco? Maybe you're rubbing off on me. As if there were anything left of me to rub off. Excuse me? The third form of cannibalism, feeding off another man's ideas, his creative output, a kind of spiritual, artistic cannibalism, if you will. The most painful and egregious of the three. I'm not sure I see your point. Oh, please. After the feasting you've done on me and my body of work, there's nothing left but the dry bag of bones you see sitting before you. I've publicly acknowledged my debt to you so many times I've lost count. True. But then that insepid brand of aw shucks humility is really just one facet of the Bay Bosco brand, no? The meticulously managed Bosco media presence. Look at me, I'm Bay Bosco. I have an original bone in my tiny little body, so I've feasted on the stinky, rotten corpse of poor old and forgotten Falcone and then shit him back out in the guise of odorless, thoroughly inoffensive art films. Aren't I cute? Aren't I just so goddamn clever? Maybe this collaboration isn't such a good idea after all. You may be right, my dear sweet succulent boy. I think I should go. Oh, come now, don't be thin-skinned. No need to run off just yet. You've not even touched your tea. It's cold. So it is. What are you doing? It's a shame about your liver. What was it your doctor said, hard as a paving stone? Did you just lock the door? I do love a tender young liver, gently sautéed in spring onions and finished with just a splash of balsamic. Not the insipid crap they sell at Trader Joe's for $3 a bottle. The true barrel-aged balsamic straight from Modena. Sweet as honey... Yeah, you know what? 
My driver's probably wondering what's keeping me. Sit down, Bosco. Excuse me? I said sit down. I really need to go. Well, you're not going anywhere. There's no driver waiting for you. You're lying. You're a terrible liar. Now, we can drag this out and make it ugly and painful, or we can do it quickly, elegantly. Stay away from me! You know you can actually taste the fear that an animal experiences in the moments before his slaughter. It's subtle, a slightly bitter aftertaste, but it's there nonetheless. This is especially true with human beings. I suppose we possess a slightly more refined and potent panic instinct. So please, I beg you, dear boy, don't panic. Help! Somebody help me! Nobody can hear you. I knew it! The tea! The fucking tea! You were trying to poison me! Poison? Heavens no! I never used poison! That would impact the flavor too much. No, the tonic is just a little pharmaceutical cocktail. Mostly muscle relaxant that I've found useful over the years. You use that very same device in your last three films! Bad Habit, 1989, Dead Wrong, 1993, and Nasty Pets, 1997! So I did. You are getting lazy, repeating yourself. Perhaps, or maybe I've just lost faith in the whole fucking human enterprise. A man spends his entire life plumbing the depths of his soul, wading through the blood and the guts of humanity to create something original and true. And in return, he's mocked and derided as some kind of show business sideshow freak. I worshipped you. You consumed me. I lifted you up. You fed off me like a hyena feasting on the fallen Lion King. And now I'm going to bring this little whole circle of life full circle. I have money. I have influence. I could orchestrate your comeback. I'm not interested in money and influence. Then what is it you want? Quite simply, to wring your scrawny neck with my bare hands. And seen. I beg your pardon? I said, and seen. It's a joke. Right? You know, I'm never sure. Is it line and seen or end scene? What do you think? I think I'm going to enjoy watching that superior little smirk slowly recede as my hands crush your trachea. Sadly, I don't think that's going to happen for you. Say hello to my little friend. Original as ever. Knowing which lines to steal and when to use them is a form of originality. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Falcone? No, I most certainly would not. Eh, Maybe you're right. Anyhow, I stashed this bad boy in my boot before I left the hotel. And I might as well have just easily tucked it in my waistband than that whole belly-jiggling thing you pulled. Well, I guess I just got lucky. It's funny how in life some people are always lucky while others never seem to catch a break. I'm an old buck, Mr. Bosco. I roll with the punches. What now? You said earlier that I was a terrible liar. In fact, I'm a pretty good liar. You gotta give me that much. I mean, you did not see this coming. Admit it. And before 
when you were prattling on and on about the cult of cannibals and I pretended I didn't know anything about it? Turns out I know quite a bit. Take a good look at me, Mr. Falcone. Look at my face. Look familiar. Actually, let's try something. Imagine me as a woman. Long, blonde hair, a mere wisp of a thing, 90 pounds, soaking wet, porcelain white skin. Coming into focus now. Can you see her? November, 1989. The Upper West Side of Manhattan. You've been seeing her on and off since the summer. She's an aspiring stage actress from Ware, New Hampshire. A country girl. She doesn't have what it takes to make it as an actress, but she doesn't know that yet. There's a youngish film director who has taken a keen interest in her. He somehow convinces her that she's not meant for the stage, that she lacks the physical presence necessary to captivate a live audience, but that on film he, this director, could frame her just so. One day, he invites her to his home, a sprawling townhouse on West 96th Street. He says he wants to introduce her to some of his friends, people who could help her with her career. She doesn't think twice. On the night in question, she takes special care of her ablutions. She's barely scraping by, barely able to pay rent and feed herself, but on this occasion, she goes to an expensive salon and gets her hair done, buys a new dress at Bloomingdale's, new shoes. She justifies it as an investment in her future. An investment in her future. She takes a taxi uptown enters the townhouse on the ground floor and is never seen nor heard from again. No body is ever found. Nothing. Nada. She vanishes without a trace. Drink, Mr. Falcone. I thought that you gave it up. Oh, hell no. I'm hitting it as hard as ever, and my liver is as soft and as supple as... What was the name of those pigs that eat the acorns? The Iberian Blackfoot. That's it. As soft as the succulent, acorn-scented liver of the Iberian Blackfoot pig. Where do you think you're going? Well, where are you going to toss me my bourbon from over there? You think I poured this for you? Fuck no. You drink the tea. I won't. Here's the deal. Drink the tea. Or I blow your fat fucking head off your shoulders. Totally up to you. That's right. Bottoms up. Wrong, ain't it? Perhaps you'd prefer a lemon zinger. Fuck off. Now pour yourself another cup. Do it.
figure if one cup was going to take me out, two cups ought to do the trick for you. Now drink. Now where was I? She vanishes without a trace. Right, right. Without a trace. But what the director learns once the police investigation gets underway is that, much to his surprise and consternation, this unassuming actress kept a journal. And everything she wrote over the past three or so months points to the director as the most likely culprit in her disappearance. And it comes out that this actress isn't the first person to have come in contact with the director then simply vanished into thin air. But the director isn't without resources. His friends, his housemates, they're a well-heeled bunch. Lawyers, doctors, heirs. The trial is a circus of prosecutorial ineptitude. And against all odds, the director manages to slip away scot-free. Feeling woozy, Mr. Falcone? That's quite a tonic you prepared. Please, take a load off. Relax, we're just about finished. As I was saying, the director wriggles out of a very tight spot indeed, but there's something else he doesn't know. Something that never comes out in the trial. It turns out the actress had a child, a son, who she left with her parents back on the farm in New Hampshire. Now this boy was far too young to remember anything around the trial. He barely remembers his mother. But as he grows older, he naturally becomes curious. He starts digging around, researching everything he can get his hands on related to his mother, her life, and sadly, her death. He learns about the director and much to his surprise, he discovers that he actually has a passion for the director's movies. I mean, imagine that! The boy feels a connection to his mother while watching the movies made by the man who killed her and then consumed her body. Because that is what you did, isn't it, Mr. Falcone? It was enough for me to feast upon your work, lifting your characters, copying your narratives, sometimes beat for beat, and then executing them with more style and panache than you could ever dream of. But now, I need more. I need the real thing, the corpus delecti. A pig's truest essence may well be concentrated in his belly, but your giant head... All that cartilage and bone. It's really going to add a nice body to that soup you've got going on the pot belly. <laughs> we are what we eat. <laughs> bon appetit, fucker.
Well, there you have it, listeners. Joe's perspective on human nature seems to align with my own, I'm afraid. And now I look down at our box of tales and it is empty. That's the season, that's all of it. You notice what else is empty? Why the lantern room atop this lighthouse? For my leathery companion, the shape is gone. I let it out of the window and it flew away. And now I am alone. Here in the Tales HQ, all alone with my thoughts. And now I will leave you with yours. Adieu. Till next time. This is Fessenden signing off. You have just listened to Cannibals, written and directed by Joe Maggio, and featuring device talents of Vincent D'Onofrio and James Legro. Edit by Ilya Chaikin. Sound design by Joe Maggio and Glenn McQuaid. Music by Glenn McQuaid. Recorded at Digit Audio by Jeff Hinton, and mixed by Jeff Hinton and Colin Thibodeau. Foley by Sean Brennan. Foley recordist, Kevin Dawkins. Cannibals was produced by Larry Fessenden, Glenn McQuaid and Jem Wexler. Copyright, Tales from Beyond a Pale, 2015. The 11th tale featuring your host Larry Fessenden and Glenn McQuaid as The Shape was composed and mixed by The Pale Man and Jeff Hinton at Digit Audio Inc. This is Glenn McQuaid signing off. Spirits and secrets spin out of control during a seance at the turn of the century. Cold Reading by Glenn McQuaid and April Snellings. Featuring Barbara Crampton, Martha Harmon Pardee, Leon Vitali, and Larry Fessenden. Only on Tales from Beyond the Pale, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>